Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. Uh, actually, today I'm not coming to you from the studio at the Coming Home Network. I'm coming to you from our northern office up near Toledo. And uh, 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 I'm joined by Matt D'Antonio. Are you, am I getting you all right, Matt? <laughs> yep, I'm hearing you. Can you hear me? With, yep, yep. With the, the aid of modern technology, we're all over the place. But right. it's, uh, it's, it's good to be able to, to gather. And, uh, of course, our purpose of this program is, is really to encourage you uh, who are listening in your walk with Jesus Christ in the church. And these particular episodes of Deep in Scripture, which we're calling Memorable Verses, I'm inviting a guest to join me to share a verse that they've memorized that has been a very important part of their walk with Jesus Christ. And the, for those of you just joining the program for the first time, we have a simple format, and it's fun. Uh, I, I would say it's in which I will begin by sharing a, a memorable verse. My guest doesn't know which verse I've chosen for the day. So I'll share my verse first, talk a bit about it. And then the second step, I'll invite Matt to to share his reflection on my verse, keeping his still under wraps. And then after we've talked about my verse a little bit, the third step is I'll invite Matt to share the verse that he's brought to the table today and talk about it. And then fourthly, he and I will talk about his verse and then finally, we'll, in step five, we'll bring them both together, and we'll see how these two verses help us to get, how the verses go together in helping our walk with Christ. Matt, you were on the Journey Home right. program about a year or so ago, right? Yeah, about a year, year and a half or so, yeah. That was fun. You know, I'm thinking before we begin, maybe just re- not so much remind the audience necessarily of your journey, but you yourself have some YouTube presence. Yeah, that's that right. right. Yeah, I have my own, yeah. Um, the channel that is the most popular right now is one that I do with my kids. Um, my family and I, we do weekly gospel readings for kids. You know, I wanted something <laughs> for kids. And so we started making videos. So we do the reading, the gospel reading for the week. And then my kids, we do a little reflection on it. Um, and that's, it's called Mr. D 418 spelled M I S T E R D 418. And the kids have, um, uh, and it's called so Mr. D418 Gospel Readings and Reflections for Kids. That's awesome. So, and then I have another different channel that's uh, more philosophical in nature. It's my name, Matt D'Antuano. And I have the phrase Donut Requiescat, which which comes from uh, St. Augustine's phrase, you know, just a couple days ago, St. Augustine's phrase, uh, until we rest in thee. That until we rest is Donut Requiescat. And that's the name of my channel. Well, that's awesome. So, Here we just had yeah. the Feast of St. Augustine. That's right. That's right. So it's a good reminder of, of he as a as a forefather challenging us to uh, not rest our heart in all the other things in the world that wants us to to buy into, but to, to rest it in Jesus Christ. So that's right. I'm glad you're doing that, Matt. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm bringing to the table then, Matt, this week um, a verse that um, I didn't. This wasn't one that I memorized as a young Christian. In fact, for the first 40 years of my life, I I seemed to be oblivious to this verse, which is, as I look back, was kind of funny because it's from 1 Timothy, and I had taught through 1 Timothy, preached through 1 Timothy. So uh, I don't know why I didn't see this verse. When I first heard it, uh, it was from a, a, I mean, heard it with apostrophes around that, heard it. 
uh, was when yeah, my old sank in. Yeah, my old seminary classmate Scott Hahn brought it to my attention after he'd become Catholic, and I, for a second, I jokingly thought that some Catholic had slipped into my Bible and put that verse in there. It wasn't in there before, but but right. this verse. I've also talked about on the deep in scripture is one of those verses I never saw. And it was the first verse that started my journey to the Catholic church. And now I believe it is one of those verses that everyone should know, uh, because it's an important defense of the faith as well as a reminder, especially during this difficult time that we live in when there's not only, um, confusion in our culture, but there's, a lot of confusion right now in the church and the work of the coming home network is helping non-Catholic Christians, particularly clergy discover the beauty of the church and come home to the church. But a lot of them are backing off wondering, well, wait a second, where, where's the church right now? And so that's why I still think this verse is, is crucial. And of course the verse I'm talking okay. about is first Timothy 14 and 15. Let me read it and then we'll talk I'll talk a little bit about it, and then I'll, I'll open the table sure. to you, so Matt. Tell me the chapter again, what you say? It's 1 Timothy, Yep. chapter 3, Three. Okay. verse 14 and 15. Got it. And um, uh, let me read the verse. Uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed— you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the truth. Now, when when Scott brought this to my mind, he actually shared his own experience of being confronted with this verse by someone in his church when he was a Protestant minister, and the person asked Scott, what is the pillar and bulwark of truth? And my my absolute knee-jerk answer is the same as what Scott's was. We both went to the same seminary together. And that we just assume yeah. without any question that the pillar and bulwark of truth is Scripture. That's right. It's the Bible. Yeah. And, and uh, in fact, if you look in the book of Acts, that's what all the early Christians originally thought. The, the Judaizers were nothing more than Scripture alone folk that were saying, wait a second, got to follow the Scriptures. And that's why the first Jerusalem council had to make some decisions about how do we follow some of the Old Testament teachings. So, but right. what's, a couple things about this passage. Let me say first that this passage didn't immediately make me Catholic. What this passage? <laughs> you don't say. It took some time, huh? What it immediate? What it did for me was, as a Presbyterian pastor, it confronted me with, well, wait a second. I never thought of the church above Scripture in a way, you know, as as the pillar and bulk of truth. So the question was, well, is it the Presbyterian church? Is it my church? Is it the Methodist church? Which church is it? So in, oh, in some yeah. sense, it sent me in a spiral trying to figure out which church. And eventually that's when I recognized and, uh, and came home to the Catholic church. But a couple other things yes. in this passage, Matt, then I'd love your thoughts. What's really cool yes. about this passage is it, it comes after the first 13 verses of first Timothy three, which are about what it means yeah. to be in a, a bishop and right. then what it means to be a deacon. And then he right. says in verse 14, yeah. and then rather than go into the, basically saying, rather than go into this now, how the rest of the church ought to operate together. 
I'm going to, uh, I want to do that when I get there, but just in case I can't get there, I'd rather do that. Let me give you a little pointers. And what's right. important to see there is it emphasizes that Paul's primary way, his preferred way of delivering truth to the churches that he was pastoring was not in writing. It was face to face, his preferred way. And when he couldn't get there is when he would write a letter. And that immediately emphasizes that obviously everything that he delivered to those churches, he didn't write down. And because yeah. the, the size of writing in those days was limited by the available materials, he had to focus on urgent things in, in Corinth or in Thessalonica or in Galatia. So, again, that emphasizes that the, the New Testament epistles alone, the Gospels alone, the Bible alone doesn't give us everything. And the second yeah. thing to point out here again is that he says that the church of the living God, the household of God, is the pillar and bulwark of truth. And the way he says it, he's not all of a sudden defining something new. He's assuming this is what the people already understand. He's affirming yeah. this very reality. So yeah. it's something that very early in the church, I was particularly experienced at that Jerusalem council. And as our Lord taught the apostles, uh, before he resur- before he ascended, is that this church was something Christ established yep. as the pillar and bulwark of truth. And as our Lord says in Matthew, when there's when there's problems between church members, if they can't take care of it themselves, if they can't bring a group of people together, well, then they bring it before the church because it's right. the church that's the pillar and bulwark of truth. And again, this follows the paragraphs about bishops and deacons, so we see immediately as he's talking about the church, he's talking about the hierarchy of the church. All right, your yeah. thoughts, my friend. Yeah, you know, it's I'm sitting here smiling and laughing because this is one of the first verses that was brought to my attention as well. I'm in college, it's my senior year. Uh, I'm a, a leader of our campus Protestant campus ministry, and this guy gets a hold of my email, and he lives in California. His name is Trent Beatty. Um, mm-hmm. he, he writes articles now, and He's got a book, um, you know, Fit for Heaven, where he does interviews with athletes and stuff like that. But anyway, this is, you know, years ago. He sends me an email out of the blue and he says, hey, look, why don't, how come you don't follow the tradition? And I think he referred to this verse, or at least early on in our correspondence. And right away, I started debating with him. And, uh, you know, like you said, it doesn't happen right away, right? Yeah. We, were, we were missing each other, but... He's talking about this. He says, look, that what is the pillar and bulwark of the truth of the truth? It's the church. And that's that's mind blowing for me at that time, because I'm thinking, how can a group of people be the pillar and bulwark of the truth? You know, I was even looking around in the Protestant world and it's like, well, look, these people can't even agree on each other. So how are you or agree with each other? So how are they going to be the pillar and bulwark of the truth? It has to be, the, you know, the word of God. And I'm talking by word of God, I mean the Bible. Uh, that's got to be the the one thing. But, you know, like you said, over time, got challenged and it came to make more sense. Um, one thing that I had done in college was I had tried to memorize as much scripture as I could. And at one point I had memorized the book of Second Timothy, the whole thing. And that's considered to be Paul's last letter. Right. Yep. And in it, same thing that you said, he appeals 
to his oral teaching. He says, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of other people, treat that as the standard of truth, as the standard for doctrine. You know, he's not dying and saying, okay, collect my letters and that's going to be your standard for truth. He's saying the things you've heard me say, teach reliable men who also be qualified to teach others. And so there in scripture is the handing out of the faith, Paul, Timothy, those disciples, and then those other disciples. You know, uh, this is such an important passage. Yeah. Because we do live right now at a time when there are a lot of Catholics that are questioning their faith. Um, I was talking with a friend lately who, we were talking about the statistics that show so many Catholics that seemingly have lost their convictions on sacraments and maybe lost faith in their hierarchy. And I was telling a friend who reminded me of an old uh, Gordon Lightfoot song uh, I used to be a folk singer. It was an old Gordon Lightfoot song called If You Can Read My Mind. And there's a line in that song that says, I don't know where we've went wrong, but the feeling's gone and I just can't get it back. <laughs> and and yeah. the, the, on the one hand, the, pro- the problem with that line is our culture thinks, well, if once I don't feel love anymore, then I don't love anymore. And so I can break up my wedding or marriage or whatever it is. And of course, as a Christian, we say, no, love is an action verb. It's not a feeling. But it's interesting that when you lose faith in someone, the feeling can go away. And it's hard to get that feeling back if you can't trust someone. And I think we're living at a time where a lot of Catholics might say, I don't know where we went wrong in this church, but the feeling's gone and I can't get it back. And so a lot of Catholics struggling. And it's a verse like this, as well as others, is to remember that it's the church that is the foundation for truth, even if. We would live at a time where the majority of our local bishops are caught up in goofy things. I'm not saying ours are, yeah. but if we are, or even if our if a pope is off the wall, if anything, if you look at the long line of popes, from every single one of them is a sinner like you and me, Matt. I, I can't right. speak for you, my friend, but I know I'm a sinner. Yeah. You know, and sinner, sinner. Here, yeah, here we are. So they're all yeah. regular folk. Now, when, when yeah. they specifically declare something to be true, that's a different story. But 99% of the time, they're just like us. And so right. when we're searching for truth, it isn't rested on some local bishop. It isn't rested on some group of bishops. It isn't, yeah. it, it's in the church that is the scripture and the tradition in union with the hierarchy and union with Peter that has been here for 2000 years. And That's so right. we've been given yeah. the great gift of the catechism so that we know what it is that the church stands for. And you as a father with right. a mess of kids, thank God you've got a catechism. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And let me tell you, it's not like, it's not like the new catechism is the only thing we're, we're using the, the old Baltimore catechism. I'm loving right. that. My kids are, they've got to memorize passages from it. We're starting to homeschool them now. And, uh, and I love it. Like I read the Baltimore Catechism. I'm like, man, if, if people knew this, if they had that vocabulary from learning this stuff, they could answer so easily so many of the, of the problems. Like, for example, like you said, you know, that what is it? Of, what is the church and how is it the church understands truth? My question as a Protestant was like, well, how can you say to look at the Catholic Church? Because my impression was also a little bit polluted, but there's some accuracy that, yeah. you know, popes, there were popes who were very corrupt. 
Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, well, how then can these popes be the pillar and bulwark of truth? But that was a misunderstanding because it's not like the person, you know, and whatever he says counts as the pillar and bulwark of truth. That's not, it's not how it works. Um, but if we look at the official dogmatic teaching of the church, that's what's the pillar and the bulwark. And even that took some time to understand for me um, because yeah. I had this image of like, well, whatever the Pope believes, that's what's dogmatic for all Catholics which is not at all the case. And there have been crazy things throughout history, and bishops doing different things. Even St. Augustine, as I've read his stuff more and more, I'm seeing that he's talking about issues in the church, just like this, where you've got these, these other bishops, there's these things going on. And um, the, the parable of the wheat and the tares, this was interesting to read this recently and um, see that according to the church fathers, the parable of the wheat and the tares, you know, the wheat or the weeds, the wheat and the tear, the weeds growing up with the wheat wasn't talking about Christians and the rest of the world. It's talking about the church. That's how a lot of the church fathers understood it, that there are the, there are problems. There are going to be problems in the church. There are problems. It's nothing new, but uh, Christ has not left his church in the teaching authority of the magisterium of the church. You know, it's interesting you bring up that verse, Matt, because throughout the history of the church, often, the heretical movements that broke away from the church often were based on that verse because they were trying to claim that, no, the church is only the saints. There were some that would say that, that it isn't the wheat, you know? So if you're saying it is, then you're, you're watering down the church. Even the reformers got caught up in that. That's why the Protestant reformation broke up into many groups because there were some groups that were more of a purified group. And you could only right. be a true member of the church if you were pure. So, and the uh, point of there is that's why scripture, any good scripture text, can't be merely up to an individual's interpretation. Right. And because yeah. you can come up with all kinds of things. And in many ways, right. that's, at least for me, that's why this verse brought me back home to say it's the church. If you and I were living in the 14th century, we we may have lived our entire lives during a time when there were supposedly three popes. And we may not have known it because there was no internet. We lived our entire life in our local village, you a smithy and me probably cleaning out stalls. And that's what we would have done. And we would just been faithful to the great church we were given. That's right. And and what happened in Rome at that time was we were oblivious to that because we were trusting the church. And That still is it. In the early days of the church, when the people would say, well, how do I know if this is true? And Tertullian, the early Tertullian and and, uh, Ignatius and others, or Irenaeus would say, does it come from a church that came from an apostle? Right. That was how they did the apostolic succession. Did this come from? The lineage. The lineage. That's the church. Yeah. All right, Matt, what are you bringing to us today? Yeah. All right. All right. Um, so I've got a verse that, um, let me back up. So I grew up attending a Catholic church, received all the sacraments, but but nothing sunk in. I definitely didn't have a personal relationship with Christ in the sense that I was praying and reading scripture or anything like that. Go to college. I don't know the difference. And then I'm involved in a Protestant ministry. You know, the Lord gets a hold of my heart, but the place that I go is this Protestant ministry. And so one of the first verses that I learned and I memorized it, and it was like my favorite verse, was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You know, and it says, uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, 
not because of works, lest any man should boast. Um, and for me, what I saw here, the words that jumped out were, you know, grace and saved and faith and not of our own and not by works. And I would have used this, I probably did, I would have used this as a verse against someone who teaches any, any type of works-based salvation. And I would have used this to try to defend sola fide. You know, like, oh, let's see, we're saved by faith alone. We're not saved by works. See, like it says faith and not works. So I would have tried to use it in that way. But what, I've, what I came to see over the years is the way that Paul uses the words. He doesn't say by faith. It's not, it's not what it says. And, you know, I looked it up in the Greek. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but I've learned enough Greek to use uh, concordance and some of the tools. And he's saying it's by grace that we're saved through faith. Um, you know, and not because of works, lest any man should boast. Um, so it's really, we this, this verse is not supporting the idea of sola fide. If anything, it's saying that the works are quite necessary, because you look at the next verse, verse 10, so that we, uh, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You know, but it's all, it's all grace. Even our faith, is is grace because he said you know he says not because of works and uh you know it is the gift of god not because of works so he says that it is a gift of god what is the it you know is the it faith or is it uh the being saved and i i think even faith itself is a gift even faith is a grace that that comes to us by means of the holy spirit so that's well, that's the verse i picked out you have picked one of my favorite verses, too, that just like you, I went through uh, a an awakening to re-understand the verse. Yeah. Um, it, there's a sense in which I didn't see it before either, you know, because I took it just the way you did. And I was a once saved, always saved, evangelical Presbyterian, and, you know, yeah. that were saved by grace. There's nothing you do to gain salvation. And therefore, there's nothing you can do to lose it, since there's nothing you do to, that's the way I used to teach. Well, I, the one thing I missed, and of course, we don't have time to go through it all here, of course, but yeah. is that the whole second half of Ephesians is about how to live out your faith so you don't lose it. I mean, it's just, it's clearly right. there. But yeah. this particular verse, this is what I came to see, Matt, in this verse, is uh -huh. the point of this verse, for me, is that Paul is not talking to these converts, these are he's, he's talking to Christians who used to be either Jews outside the church or they were pagans. And what he's yep. saying by this verse is, he's saying, hey guys, God didn't save you because back when you were outside the church, you were so good that because you were so good back then as a pagan, God saved you because of how good you were, because of the works you were doing. He said, no, it had nothing to do with the way you were back then. It was when you were lost in that stuff, or as it says in Romans, while you were yet sinners, mm -hmm. Christ died for you. So while you were lost in that, completely uninterested in God, God, by his mercy and his grace, gave you the gift of faith mm -hmm. that you responded yeah. to and came home. So you were saved out of that life into yeah. 
this life. That's what he's talking about. Right. Saving here is not the end yeah. time thing. We can lose that. But right now where we stand, we are here. And then later in, in both Colossians and Ephesians, he says, hey, don't go back to the way you used to be. Because right. you've been saved yeah. out of it by grace. That's right. Yeah. And it is. It's a complete It's a complete gift. And that was one of the things that blew my mind when I started to understand Catholicism, not by my own works, but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because you know, I can't I can't come to true understanding on my own apart from the grace of God. But as I as I did come to understand what the church taught, I was actually amazed at how grace based it all is. And even the the soul of Fide almost looked like a work to me. Like as if, you know, you're saved by your faith and that the faith is a work. And then that seems sort of contradictory. But even if we see it this way, that even faith itself is a gift, then it's all, it's all grace. It's all grace. It's all a free gift. Don't deserve any of it. And like to the pagans, it seems like a theme in this letter is the unity. You know, talking about the church again, he's saying, look, you were raised up, you were grafted in, you know, together with the Jews. And he's talking about being raised up to the heavenly places there. I think like three times, at least three times in this first couple of chapters, talking about being raised up, this inheritance, you know, being incorporated into this glorious inheritance, raised up into the heavenly places. And that makes me uh, think about the mass being raised up to a heavenly place, the invitation to the table, because, you know, it's at the mass that we join in the song of the saints and the angels in the heavenly places. Uh, And that that's a gift just to be to be called and to go there. And then, you know, another verse that is similar to what you had said, verse 20 of chapter two, you know, it's talking about you're not or 19 says you're not outside strangers and sojourners. You've been made fellow citizens um, with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So there again, this what's the foundation because I would have said, oh, what's the foundation of the church? We would have said, oh, the foundation of the church is the Bible. You know, the church comes from the Bible. But here he's saying, no, no, it's the, this is it. The apostles, the prophets were all, all one here. Um, yeah. And then it says, you know, Christ himself being the cornerstone. And I have a note here. Uh, it's like Paul is sort of painting a picture of having two walls. And the, one wall is the Jews. The other wall is the pagans. The common foundation and the cornerstone is Christ. So out of that one common corner, you've got both walls building up. Um, I don't have a, a note. Probably came from Thomas Aquinas. If I don't put notes in my Bible, then I get to think <laughs> that I came up with it. That makes me feel really good about myself. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, and another note at the beginning of Ephesians, it's talking about ecclesial unity, institution of ecclesial unity. Um, so that's a that's a theme in this uh, in this book as well. The unity of the church, the pagans, the Jews all coming together. The one one thing I discovered when I, on my journey in reading the early church fathers, is I found out that there were a number of cases where some of the early bishops wrote Easter letters that were to be distributed amongst their churches. Uh, And so with the new members, and we know that it isn't just a modern thing, actually our modern way of bringing people into the church at Easter was really in many ways a reintroduction of what had been done in the early church. That, sure. that the Easter letters were to the baptized, the newly baptized. And when you understand that, you look at Ephesians as possibly Paul in chains writing this baptismal oh, letter yeah. to the newly baptized on Easter. And when you think yeah. of it that, that way, which really, 
what's really exciting is the first three chapters are basically about what happens when you're baptized. Mm-hmm. What happens right. when you're baptized? And that's yeah. the whole thing. You become part of the church. You receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit. You become united, all this stuff. And it's yep. all by grace. And then the second yep. half of Ephesians is, okay, now that you're baptized, how are you going to live together in family or in your work situation? Or to, you know, that's what's right. It's what baptism means. And, you know, yeah. I think one of the be- most beautiful reasons God gave us baptism is it emphasizes that our faith is not individualistic. Right. We need no. one another yeah. for baptism. Uh-huh. That's I can't right. do it to myself. Right. That's yeah. a part of the church. Yeah. What do you think, Matt? Do these verses go together? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, the church the church itself is a is a grace even just that there are people that we have bishops that we have priests who can um you know and that's a way that this grace comes to us that it's not just purely spiritual or i think about it and i just pray for it but there are concrete means of saving grace that are given to us through the church through the one church that's founded on uh the the apostles and the bishops and the prophets And I also think about your verse uh, in conjunction with the one I chose, that your verse is a great example of of how many conflicting interpretations there are out there trying to understand what the truth of of, um, Ephesians uh, 2, 8, 9, and 10 are all about. And when you do it apart from the church, you end up with division all over the place, which we just see it. it. just walk outside your door and go to the first churches on the corner. But when you yeah. recognize that the church is pillar and bulwark of what's true, then you understand what Paul was talking about in that verse and how it correctly applies yeah. both to ourselves as well as our children. Right. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And that he says, you know, saved through faith or, you know, by grace through faith. And the question is, well, what is that faith? The faith in what? You know, what are the contents of that faith? And that's a faith that comes to us through the church. You know, yeah. that faith is based on the truth, and that truth is based on the teaching of the church. So, yeah, Matt, I, think, I think they definitely line up. Oh, they're, they're awesome together. I think they're, they've actually, yeah. they really need to stay together because without, Absolutely. without the foundation of the church, that Ephesians, all Ephesians, all of Galatians, all of Colossians could be, could be taken in directions that really pull people away from yeah. Christ and help them have yeah. the fullness. Has been. Well, Matt, this has been a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. You want to tell the audience yeah, one more time if they want to too. be connected with your stuff, where do they go? Well, probably the best place to go is Facebook. I've got a page there. And I've been writing a uh, blog for uh, the National Catholic Register, got the YouTube channel, got a few books that I've published. Um, so take my name, Matt D'Antuano, and put it into Facebook. Got a page there where I try to uh, update on a regular basis. All right. And uh, the Lord's blessings on you and your children, you know. And, and thank you. About thank the you. Same to you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Right. Thank you very much. And all of you, thank you for joining us on this episode of, of Deep in Scripture. I hope you, if you haven't already, you'll go to our website, chnetwork.org, and uh, connect with all the resources we have that are there to help us walk a faithful life with our Lord Jesus Christ and his church. God bless you. See you again next week. Amen. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, 
view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.